This is The Gem on the Queen's Crown, a podcast talking about Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio sports. Here's the host, Lee W. Mallon. Here on episode number 25 of The Gem on the Queen's Crown at beautiful Carillon Historical Park, You can catch this podcast on iTunes and your favorite iOS podcast players, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, the iHeartRadio app, Spreaker, Podbean, Player.fm, Acast, Overcast, Anchor.fm, Podchaser, Radio Line, Podbay.fm, and Listen Notes. We're here at Carillon Historical Park with the one and only Leo DeLuca. Leo, pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Leo is part of the Dayton Historical Society. So what does your job entail here, Leo? Yeah, so Dayton History is Montgomery County's official historical organization. We have a number of historical sites and campuses, uh, or this campus, under our umbrella. So we have Carillon Historical Park, Carillon Brewing Company, Memorial Hall, the old courthouse, Paul Lawrence Dunbar House, of course, possibly the crown jewel of the entire Dayton area. It's just Hawthorne Hill, Orville Wright's success mansion, where Bishop Milton Wright and his younger sister Catherine also lived. So here at Dayton History, I am the media coordinator. That is my official title. But I'm also a, a writer for Ohio Magazine, Dayton Magazine, some national music publications, and I do radio work myself with WYSO 91.3 do a lot of archival and historical pieces in relation to sports. I am a wrestling coach at Oakwood High School. So that's enough about me. Working radio with WYSO, that's a fine station. I know my first boss at Wright State and WWSU was Juliet Fromholt. She's a hardworking lady. Yeah, she's amazing. I love Juliet. So she really keeps things, the momentum going at, at WYSO for sure. What does the media coordinator job entail here at Dayton History? So we're a not, not-for-profit organization. My title is media coordinator, but I work a lot of hats. Uh, so at Dayton History, I, I do a lot of the PR, talking to people like you, or organizing interviews for my colleagues to, to speak with people like you, and uh, getting the word out to the press about our different events and fundraisers, exhibits, new openings things like that, anything noteworthy. I also manage the social media accounts. And then I do some side stuff, so I I got involved with Dayton History because I am a Dayton History nerd. So wherever possible, I I try to do some interpretation, historical interpretation, and try to to work on the development end of things as well. So yeah, it's a lot. It's it's a lot of fun. You mentioned the social media accounts. If people are interested in following, where do they go? Our Social media accounts are all just at, at Dayton History, so the handles for both Instagram and Twitter are at Dayton History, and then on Facebook it's slash Dayton History. That is where you would go. Let's dive into Dayton History, shall we? I know there's a big event coming up next month, late next month, and my good friend Mary Worden, she is part of the Fight Night in Dayton. Tell me more about the Fight Night. Yeah, so Saturday, February 24th, doors are at 7 p.m., fights are at 8 p.m., is Dayton History Fight Night. It's a very affordable event. It's Tickets are $15 in advance. You can get them at uh, DaytonHistory.org. 
or by visiting Carolina Historical Park, Carolina Brewing Company, and uh, the twenty dollars at the door. So it does benefit you to buy tickets in advance. It is an ever-growing and very popular event. Historic Memorial Hall was established in 1910. And back in the early 20th century to mid-20th century, boxing was the sport. So it was much more popular than it is today. And Memorial Hall drew some incredible names. So you had Jack Dempsey, which very well, he you know could have been the most famous sports icon of his time. I mean, he was an incredible boxer. Uh, You had Big Joe Lewis who fought there. And then you had some uh, amazing events, you know. So when Jack Dempsey was there, Tunney came, who eventually took him down, Gene Tunney, and showed up in a a black sports, sports suit and walked into Memorial Hall, and they say that he got a bigger applause than Dempsey did, and, you know, he was there to basically state, hey, look, I want to go for the crown. I want to fight you. I'm here tonight to gather support for that. And so they took a really famous photo, actually, at Memorial Hall of Jack Dempsey and Gene Tunney. They're shaking hands, and I think it's the first time they were ever seen in the ring. And so that happened at Memorial Hall. And born out of, you know, that picture, you know, was kind of interesting, and I think kind of got the wheels turning that there could be an event here at Memorial Hall to celebrate Dayton's boxing history. And Memorial Hall is open to the public for, you can rent it for rentals and things like that. But this is an event where people can come and see this amazing piece of architecture and history that has been part of Dayton for so long. It's really a special event. A lot of older Dayton citizens frequented Memorial Hall to see things like the historic Kenley players or, you know, Broadway musicals or sporting events like boxing matches. And it's interesting for them to, or fun for them to be able to visit Memorial Hall once more. And I think it's interesting for people who have never seen the inside of this grand memorial to witness it. It serves many purposes. And boxing is known as the sweet science, too. I bet when you walk through Memorial Hall, you can just feel all those memories. Feel the nostalgia just coming right at you. Sure, yeah, and that's why we preserve these structures at Dayton History, and, and that's why what we aim to do is that there is a spirit to these buildings that is just unmatched in new architecture. I mean, they, these buildings have a story to tell, and it's our story. I think it's incredible to be able to interpret this piece of Dayton's sports history at a venue that has been part of Dayton for well over 100 years now. Now, if people are interested in coming out to fight night Mm -hmm. and they don't know where Memorial Hall is, where is Memorial Hall? So, yeah, Memorial Hall is right downtown. It's been a, a centerpiece of downtown for many years. The exact address is 125 East 1st Street in downtown Dayton, and you'll recognize it. It's a stone's throw away from Fifth Third Field, too. Yeah, it's right down there, right right downtown. And you said tickets are 15 bucks in advance and 20 at the door, mm-hmm. correct? It's a steal. How many boxers participate? How many athletes participate in fight night? So, yeah, it just depends on year to year. 
Dayton History Fight Night is a 1920s-themed boxing exhibition and amateur fighters. They are all amateur fighters, but they are trained at Brown's Institute of Martial Arts in Centerville, Ohio. In the past, we've had anywhere between six and eight fights. This year, it looks like we're going to have eight or nine fights. And so we also we have female fighters as well. So we're looking to have three female fights. So we have six female fighters who are training hard right now, which is great. They each they go three rounds and a 1920s themed event. So oftentimes people will dress in their best 1920s attire. <laughs> so it's it's a it's a really it's a fun fun event. It's back in the day when you wore suits everywhere you went, especially sporting events. Like oh, yeah, see, everybody's dressed to the nines. You, you'll see, like, baseball photos where everyone's in suits, and, like, if it's hot out there, how are you not wiltering away? Right, it was a different time, yeah. You, when you went out to a public event like that, you, you were dressed to the nines. So it's 1920s-themed. A lot of people dress in 1920s apparel to match the theme of this historically inspired event. It's just too bad that sports tickets aren't 1920s themed. Can you imagine paying like, you know, maybe a dollar for Super Bowl tickets and I know, right? 5500 for ugh. I'm sorry, that's getting out of the way. Do you know what training entails for these boxers? Yeah, so they train as we encourage them to train, you know, at least 2 to 3 times a week, the more the better, obviously. They are just working on their, you know, basic boxing skills. So it Every Friday they do sparring and they actually get up in the ring and start punching at each other. Yeah, they're just learning how to box. A lot of them on the side will do different cardiovascular activities and try to get in shape. So it's a fun thing, and I think it pushes a lot of people to really reach their potential or to do something they think they thought that maybe they couldn't do. You know, in addition to training and pushing their bodies to physical limits, they're also standing up in front of well over 1,500 spectators on a stage, you know, where these famous boxers once fought. So it's a it's a big deal. You got to think, it's not just getting punched in the head. I mean, you got to have the stamina to absorb those sh- shots. You got to have the nimbleness to be able to come back. And I don't know why I'm talking boxing like that, but it's... 15 if you buy it before the match and 20 at the door and at Memorial Hall too. So we talked a little bit about Fight Night in Dayton. It's a fantastic event, and I highly recommend that you go. Uh, when is it again? February 24th? Uh, February Saturday, February 24th okay. uh, at Historic Memorial Hall. Doors are at 7 p.m. Fights start at 8 p.m. Tickets are $15 in advance. $20 at the door, and you can get tickets at DaytonHistory.org or by visiting Carillon Historical Park or Carillon Brewing Company. Now, coming into the building today, I noticed that there's a lot of renovations going on. What is being built here on the campus of Carillon Historical Park? We are currently widening the front entrance to expand the, the guest experience area and the museum store. So that's what's happening when you see the construction there. But it's always moving here at Carillon Historical Park. There's always something new that is in the works. So it's a 65-acre campus. It's been here since 1950. Uh, And in recent years, we have really expanded upon the attractions and offerings at Carillon Historical Park. 
I know there's Culp's Cafe, which is only open during the warm seasons mm-hmm. here in Dayton, Ohio. There's the beautiful tower, which during Christmas season, you just see all the lights. And mm-hmm. coming out of UD Arena and going out of the parking lot, it's it's breathtaking to see. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting piece of architecture, and it's obviously an iconic Dayton structure at this point. Deeds Carillon, dedicated in 1942, so we celebrated 75 years of Deeds Carillon last year. But that is Ohio's largest carillon. It's a musical instrument as well. And it was built by Reinhard and Hofmeister, the same architectural firm that uh, built Rockefeller Center in, in New York. So it's it's got some really interesting history tied to it and the grounds around Carillon Historical Park. A lot of people don't know this as well. Were done by the Olmsted Brothers, a famed architectural landscape architectural firm that is a family company that the family did sites such as Central Park in New York, Prospect Park, Biltmore, grounds around Capitol Building in, in D.C., and the list goes on. And if I remember correctly, the original bells on the tower were replaced in 1988, so those new bells are <laughs> they're about as old as I am. Yeah, so it used to kind of hang more like a chandelier in its original design. And then they put the playing tower up higher. It's easier for our carillonor to to play. He prefers this method. And so, yes, that was done in in the 80s. And, yeah, but the the basic facade is, is, is still the same. When people visit Carillon Park, what can people expect to see in terms of historical places. Yeah, so, you know, Dayton, first of all, is an extraordinary city in terms of its history. For a city its size, it has historically punched above its weight. So in Dayton, you have the airplane, the cash register, the starter motor, more patents per capita than any city in the entire nation by the turn of the 20th century, ubiquitous inventions such as the pop-top, and it's just an incredible story to tell. We're lucky here at Carillon to have these stories, and I really feel like we try to bring them to life in the best way possible. At Carillon Historical Park, you can see anything from Dayton's oldest standing building, Newcomb Tavern, which was from 1796, uh, which tells the tale of Dayton's early years, to the 1905 Wright Flyer Three, which is the only airplane designated a National Historic Landmark, what Orville Wright himself considered their most important aircraft, and, and what is really the world's first practical airplane. I mean, that's a an amazing, amazing artifact to have here. Orville gifted it to the park himself. You know, we have more Wright family artifacts on display than any place in the entire world. Uh, you could go over to Carillon Brewing Company is the nation's only fully operational production brewery in a museum. Yeah, and as we have spoke about earlier in the podcast, uh, you know, there we have the Dayton Triangles locker room. So the first NFL game was played on October 3rd, 1920 between the Dayton Triangles and the Columbus Panhandles here at Dayton at Triangle Park. The Triangles won 14 to nothing and the locker room from that day has been moved here to Carillon Historical Park and we have some plans to turn that into a Dayton history sports comps. Now, when you say the original Dayton Triangles locker room, when you say locker room and you think about today's lockers, you know, you got the metal lockers, you can go in, you lock them up. 
What's the Dayton Triangle locker room like? It's like what you see today. I mean, very simple structure, but it's incredible for its significance in being the locker room that was utilized during that, that first NFL game. Now, this is during the time for football where you didn't have the helmets you have today. You had the lever caps, I believe? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was certainly a different sport. You know, we didn't concern ourselves as much with concussions or bell ringers or anything like that. I think you just <laughs> you just took it. Uh, yeah, and that inaugural season that the Dayton Triangles played in 1920, which the NFL recognizes as the first game, is that first October 3rd, 1920. Big Jim Thorpe, the famous Olympian, was the president of that new league. And, you know, the Triangles, which I think is a really interesting piece, is, you know, they go on to play teams like the Chicago Bears, the New York Giants, the Green Bay Packers, names we still know and love today, and finally disbanded in 1929. But to have teams like that here in Dayton, playing our very own Dayton Triangles, is an incredible piece of history in and of itself. And when you watch the NFL today, I mean, the closest team we have is the Cincinnati Bengals, or the second closest would be the Indianapolis Colts, third closest would be the Cleveland Browns. You watch the NFL and you don't realize birthplace, the first game, right in your own backyard in Dayton, Ohio, USA. Yeah, yeah, Dayton seems like we joke here at Carolina Historical Park that all roads lead to Dayton, but really it's true that there's so much that came from this uh, mid-sized city. I think I read one time where Brown, Dayton, Ohio, like there's 75% of the population in like a 500-mile radius around Dayton. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure on that, but I read something about that, and it's just like, it makes sense. I mean, Dayton's kind of the crossroads of America. You got I-70, I-75. Mm-hmm. I mean, the heart of it all, baby. The, As the flyers say, the epicenter of college basketball. So <laughs> this is a very, this is a very great city. Here in Dayton, Ohio, I know things have kind of taken a tumble, you know, NCR packing up, leaving for, I think they're now in Atlanta. They're moving for the third time. Georgia, yeah. Yeah. Mentioned NCR, General Motors, you know, that abandoned plant in Moraine type of thing. But Dayton still has a lot of great history on it. And before I continue on with the questions about the Dayton Triangles, I do want to give a shout out to Doug Brown, part of the... Gem City Sports Network. He has a historical sports podcast, Miami Valley Sports History. And on episode four, he interviewed Leo DeLuca as well. So I'm not trying to steal Doug's funder here. I just, it's an idea that I think Doug actually introduced to me a while back, and I finally got the jump on it a while ago. So again, if you want to listen to that, it's episode four. It's on gemcitysports.com. Let's continue with episode 25 of the Gem on the Queen's Crown. I'm here with Leo DeLuca. Leo, thank you for giving me your time today to talk Dayton sports history. And I'll jump back into the Dayton Triangles. Now, the name Triangles, I'm sure it's not, oh, I like the shape Triangles. It's based on the historical park, Triangle Park, correct? Yes and no. I think Triangle Park roughly resembles its name, I suppose. It's bordered by the Stillwater and Miami Stillwater is to the west, the Miami River is to the east. You know, I think the the main reason that they named themselves the Triangles, which is obviously not a very intimidating name, they could have been the parallelograms, I suppose, 
was that uh, industrialists Colonel Edward A. Deeds, who is also the founder of Carolina Historical Park here, and Charles F. Kettering, who is obviously the the inventor of the starter motor, he landed on Time Magazine and. In 1933, for his accomplishments, they bought this unusually shaped parcel of land uh, from a local jewelry entrepreneur, Edwin Best, and that was in in 1917. So that was 101 years ago. They had three conglomerated enterprises: Dayton Engineering Laboratories Company, also known as Delco, Dayton Metal Products Company, and the Domestic Engineering Company, and they formed what they called an industrial triangle downtown, which inspired the football team's name and I suppose the the place it would call home, too, Triangle Park. That makes a lot of sense. I know on Doug's podcast saying that why didn't they play a team, the Rhombuses. Yes. I was thinking about that. Change it to the parallelograms today. (laughs) I was thinking that if Indianapolis had a team back then, they should be the Indianapolis Circles because that is the Circle City out there. Yeah, and you know this is this is interesting too. And it, I'm not going to go on record as authenticating this, but this is what I've heard. So this is this is hearsay, and I'm going to make that very clear. But I've heard, and and I think you could you could easily authenticate it. I have not done so myself. That the Dayton Triangles in 1929, after an abysmal season, that was actually mentioned in a recent Sports Illustrated article about the worst seasons over over two seasons, the worst record. Dayton Triangles own that, followed by <laughs> followed by the Cleveland Browns, the most abysmal record that they showed over the last two years, and then the Detroit Lions. Anyway, when the Triangles bombed and in 1929 they were sold to the Brooklyn Dodgers, the Brooklyn Dodgers eventually became the Baltimore Colts, and then the Colts were sold to Indianapolis. So you can trace the triangles to the Indianapolis Colts. You can. I haven't done so. And I think that you might be able to. I'm not sure that that is actually true, but I, I do believe that it very well may be. And I made that Indianapolis Circles joke just on a whim to talk about shapes. Mm-hmm. I made a shapes joke, and it's very impressive. You basically have what was the Dayton Triangles over in Indiana. In that first season, too, yeah, the, the Cardinals are the only team that was in that first 1920 league. I think they were in Chicago at that time, but they're at the Arizona Cardinals now. When they moved in the 80s, they were the Phoenix Cardinals for a time. Yeah, so they, they were the Chicago Cardinals in that, that uh, original team. And then you had the Decatur Staleys, which the team... George Papa Bear Hollis moved to Chicago and renamed the Bears in 22. So that was the part of that first year, too. Just hearing the history of what our current NFL franchise is just... It's all from Ohio, really. You know, you have the Hall of Fame up in Canton because that's where they met, formed this league. I know Canton's on the other side of Ohio, the northeast quadrant of the state, but still, you have the Hall of Fame game up there. It's... Mm -hmm. I mean, just... The history rooted here in Dayton is tremendous. Sure. It's uh, something that we're excited to expand upon in the coming years and really highlight that that Triangle's locker room. So, yeah, and then, you know, obviously that'll be kind of the nexus for a complex that celebrates Dayton sports history in general, which is, is a pretty 
incredible story in and of itself. Absolutely. Here with Leo DeLuca of Dayton History, and you're listening to the 25th episode of The Gem on the Queen's Crown, talking Cincinnati and Dayton sports. Today we're focusing on Dayton history, and we're talking about the triangles, we're talking about fight night, we're talking about these great buildings, but there's so much sports history that's rooted here. I mean, nowadays when you think of Dayton schools, there's six in the area and possibly soon be five. I think of all the athletes and the Olympians that have come from Dayton, Ohio. I mean, one of the roads is Edwin C. Moses. He was a famous Olympian. Yeah, so Edwin C. Moses was an, is an incredible man. He was a gold medalist in 1976 in Montreal, then again in 1984 in Los Angeles, and then he was a bronze medalist in 1988 in Seoul. But, you know, Edwin C. was is considered one of the greatest 400-meter hurdlers of all time. And he was a 1973 graduate of Fairview High School here in Dayton. Obviously, this, that high school no longer exists. He was incredible. His time at the 76 Montreal Olympics was uh, 47.63. 1984 was 47.75. He won the bronze with a time that was actually faster than the one where he won the gold in 84, and that was 47.56. And so, you know, he won a record 122 consecutive 400-meter hurdle races from August 77 through May of 87. And ESPN listed Moses among the 50 greatest North American athletes of the 20th century. He was an amazing man. I mean... Not only you're representing Dayton, Ohio, but you're representing the United States of America when you go to the Olympics. And what Moses did is quite impressive. I mean, with this knowledge that I'm picking up today, when I work at UD, I'm going to think, wow, Dayton's mm. incredibly lucky to have an Olympian that's done such great work like Edwin Moses did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was an amazing man. I mean, Dayton's also had more Olympians as well too right so yeah i grew up in oakwood nearby oakwood and one street over one of my dear friends katie adair her stepfather at the time was bob shul uh the olympic gold medalist and we got to actually i remember as a as a boy when i was a, a probably 13 or 14 going over and he got out the old film and set up the projector and we watched his gold medal race so he won the 5000 meter run at the 1964 Tokyo Olympics, and he became the only American to ever to to ever win that event. And he was a a 1955 graduate of nearby Milton Union High School, and a two-time national champion. He was a coach over at Wright State University, a coach of the Bob Shule Racing Team, and the 1971 Malaysian National Team. He set five American records, and one world record so his get this his personal best times at the one mile three minutes 58 seconds i'm lucky if i can do a quarter mile in that time <laughs> i'm not i'm not a fast person but yeah his best 1500 meters three minutes at 40 seconds his best three mile 13 minutes and 10 seconds 5,000 meters, 13 minutes and 38 seconds, and the 3,000-meter steeplechase would have been 8 minutes and 47 seconds. The dude could run. Yeah. 
that dude is fast. Mm-hmm. That's that's quite impressive. We're talking Dayton history. We mentioned the Olympians that have hailed from the Dayton, Ohio area. We talked a little bit about Dayton Triangles, a fight night. We'll touch on that when we wrap up episode 25. I also like to mention, too, the two Division One schools in the Dayton, Ohio area, the Dayton Flyers and the Wright State Raiders. They're both touching on the aviation history here in Dayton. I mean, Wright State named after the Wright brothers and Flyers, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's... It's always been something I admired about both schools. They're, it's both, you know, an homage to Dayton, Ohio. Mm-hmm. That certainly the the most incredible story in in Dayton history, and I honestly don't see how it will ever be paralleled. I mean, it's an unparalleled story to Dayton, Ohio bicycle makers who are not completely, but they were both just high school. Well, Orville was a high school dropout. He dropped out before his senior year. Wilbur picked up his high school graduation diploma certificate. So these two brothers that were completely self-funded from monies from their bicycle shop that had a lot less education and were able to do the impossible, in quotation marks, you know, something that men with a lot more education and a lot more financial backing had been unable to do time and again. And it's just an incredible story, so... It is the story, you know, David McCullough wrote the New York Times best-selling book on the Wright Brothers, and Tom Hanks bought the rights to it, and maybe an HBO miniseries on it all, but uh, not sure about the uh, Wright Brothers athletes other than, you know, when they were younger, actually, they were athletes. Uh, Wilbur was injured in a hockey-type game. Um, mm. Orville was known as uh, the Scorcher for his times with the bicycle racing so it's kind of interesting yeah that is pretty interesting i mean if you think about it they have to be in pretty good shape because you're trying to fly i mean mm-hmm. you gotta be in pretty good shape too. yeah yeah take yeah, it is interesting it's very interesting now leo back in the beginning you mentioned you were a coach at oakwood and that's for lumberjacks wrestling am i correct yeah, oakwood lumberjacks wrestling that's right how are the lumberjacks doing this year Good. We just uh, came off of winning the Southeastern Invitational last weekend. We won our home opener at home, uh, the Oakwood Invitational. We've won several dual meets and tri-meets. Last year, we advanced to the quarterfinals of the team state duels. Full roster, all 14 weight classes filled. We're having fun. You guys wrestle at the pit? Yeah, when we wrestle at home. I, I love the pit. You have to come to a match. I would love to come to a match. Yeah. Part of the Southwestern Buckeye League, who are the biggest rivalries for the Jacks? Um, you know, Valley View is loaded this year. It's a really, they have a tough, tough wrestling program. Historically, Bellbrooks had some really great wrestlers come out in recent years. We just beat Monroe, so they're part of our league. You know, we place above Northridge and Dixie and a lot of these schools that are in the SWBL. You mentioned the Bulldogs earlier, too. Yeah, Melton Union is a tough team. They they have some tough wrestlers. I'd say Valley View is probably the biggest rival this year. I remember when I went to school at Valley View, uh, the head coach of wrestling, I don't know if he's still there anymore or not, but he was also the gym teacher. Bill Miller? He's still there. He's still there? Mm-hmm. Awesome. Mm-hmm. That's I mean, they cool. have a great wrestler. His name is Stone Day. He's a 195-pounder, and he got second in the state last year. He beat the guy from Graham, who got 
the state championship. I think he beat him twice, he and beat, then lost in in the finals. He beat so, someone from Graham, who happens to be like the ultra Zeus of high school wrestling in the area. Exactly. There. That's yeah. yeah. And then so he's projected to be the state champ this year. Uh, he's an incredible athlete. So you uh, mentioned to me before we started recording that Oakwood actually Oakwood wrestling actually has the first wrestler from Southwest Ohio that was a state champ. Yeah, Dan Hal, 1973, was the first state champion from the Dayton area. Uh, Oakwood has never had a state champion since, so we are on the lookout for the next one. It could happen this year for you guys. I hope so. What's the rest of the season look like for the Lumberjacks? We are going to be headed to the Team State Duels uh, this week. we got to go to the Eaton Invitational, got the SWBL Conference Meet, and then Sectionals District and State. Leo, thank you for your time today. This has been a lot of fun, and definitely if people are interested in learning more about Dayton history, Dayton sports history, where do they go, and how much is it to come here and learn? Uh, you can go to DaytonHistory.org to learn about Dayton's incredible history of innovation and invention. Again, Dayton has more patent had more patents per capita than any city in the entire uni- United States by the turn of the 20th century. The airplane, starter motor, cash register, all those stories are told here in a pretty unparalleled fashion. Again, we have more Wright family artifacts on display than any place in the world. A whole collection of NCR cash registers tell the story of the starter motor in Deeds Barn here at Carolina Historical Park, the actual barn where they created that starter motor that revolutionized the automobile industry is here at Carolina Historical Park. Soon we'll be telling these sports history stories. We have the Dayton Triangles locker room here. Um, so DaytonHistory.org is where you can learn more. For Fight Night, Dayton History Fight Night, which is Saturday, February 24th, at Historical Memorial Hall, Fights are at 8, doors open at 7, $15 in advance. You can get tickets online at DaytonHistory.org or DaytonFightNight.com, or you can come visit us here at Carillon Historical Park, pick up a ticket for Dayton History Fight Night, and explore the wonderful 65-acre campus we have here. And also say hello to our good friend Mary Wharton as well. Hopefully I'll have Mary on on a future podcast episode. But, Leo, thank you so much for your time today. I learned a lot, and I am very appreciative of the opportunity. Uh, Thank you so much for having me, Leo. I really appreciate it as well. And the next time you work at WYSO, tell Juliet that Lee says hi. I definitely will. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes and your favorite iOS podcast players, along with Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, the iHeartRadio app, Spreaker, Podbean, Player.fm, Acast, Overcast, Anchor.fm, Podchaser, RadioLine, Podbay.fm, and Listen Notes. And Leo, one last question. If people want to follow Dayton History on social media, where do they go? Right, so Facebook uh, is just slash Dayton History, and then our handles for both Instagram and Twitter are at Dayton History. Go follow those accounts, people, and learn yourself some history on Dayton, Ohio sports. That will wrap things up for episode number 25. We'll talk to you again soon on episode 26. This is Lee W. Mowen signing off. Thanks for listening to The Gem on the Queen's Crown. Don't forget to like the Facebook page, The Gem on the Queen's Crown. 
Follow the podcaster, the Lee W. Mowen, on Twitter and Instagram. Also, visit www.theleewmowen.com and www.gemcitysports.com.